Welcome to the Silver Screen with Tony's Musket staff writers Alex Weber and Seth Goodwin. In the inaugural episode today, we will be talking about, or we'll be ranking our favorite Quentin Tarantino films in light of his most recent creation, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we both saw the other night. It's fantastic. Escape Blankenbaker, yes. Um, we did see it with a few of our colleagues, Noah Wilson, Sam Snodder, members of Tony's Musket, uh, raving reviews. Look, you'll hear about it in a, in a minute. Um, but today we're going to rank our favorite Tarantino films unchronologically from five to one. Uh, we only picked five. He's only got nine so far, and we didn't include any other ones besides the ones he's written and directed. Uh, so we'll get into that. But first, opening remarks about his newest film, Once Upon a Time. I loved it. I, I loved it too. I it's, So far, it's my favorite movie of 2019. Yeah, it's my favorite movie since 2015. Like, I, I can't even remember the last movie I, I liked this much. Now, like, I will admit, like, parts of the movie are kind of slow. But that's that's with every movie, it seems like. But you can tell it's building to something. Mm-hmm. And the last 20 minutes of the movie is unreal. Oh, yeah. It's unexpected, shocking, violent. <laughs> it's fantastic. It is. Like, I, I was... Now, the whole two hours and 40 minutes, I was smiling from ear to ear. Yeah. And, like, the movie was funny. Like It, it was, was it was funny. It was referential. It was important. And like, I think it, it visited a time that was really important in, like, uh, Los Angeles. Because it is a love letter to the 60s and a love mm-hmm. letter to Hollywood. And but it also ties in a horrific event. The Charles Manson movie. <laughs> yeah. And the ending to the film, like... Not just the ending, but... It's Al- shocking Al- if you haven't seen it. Alex was sitting right next to me. He can attest. There were times where I legitimately, <laughs> legitimately <laughs> laughed out loud. Yes! Yeah, there's a few lines we'll get to when we actually talk about Once Upon, uh, Once Upon a Time, because it made both of our lists of top five uh, Tarantino movies. Sorry to spoil. But yeah, it was just a really fun movie to go see. I, I saw it again last night. So I've seen, I saw it two nights in a row. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, the second time I focus more on just like everything else because I had already seen it before. I'll, the first hour is just incredible. Just every everything, the way it sets up, what's going to happen. And Leo's performance is just excellent. I, I, f- I found on a second watch. No, I've only seen it once, but I can guarantee you I will be seeing it again. Yes, in the, it's in a the great theater, movie. In the theater. Mm-hmm. But I disagree with Alex. I think Brad Pitt stole oh, the movie. I think Brad Pitt stole the movie too, and I think he's the most iconic part of it. But on a second watch, I'm saying I know I was like, wow, this is this is a great Leo performance as well. Brad Pitt is like the coolest motherfucker in the world, yet he lives in a trailer. Yeah, okay. He's Brad, a stunt man. Brad Pitt's name is Cliff Booth mm-hmm. in the movie. He might be one of my top five favorite Tarantino characters. Oh yeah. The way, the way they use his wardrobe, like, he wears, like, just vibrant colors, and, like, he wears one where he's got, like, a jean jacket, jeans, and his moccasins. I'm like, just such, like, late 60s stuff that only movie stars would wear, yet he's not a movie star. He's a stunt Yet he's still, like, cooler than every movie star that he deals with. I, I, and then he killed his wife for some random reason. That was, like, <laughs> it's dark, but it was funny, like, the way it happened. How many characters can you say, oh, yeah, he killed his wife and got away with it, and he lives in a trailer, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's still the dude, like, I wouldn't be him. Yeah, he's, like, the he's the coolest character in the movie. Well, mm-hmm. every character in this movie is cool, except for Charles Manson. Uh, 
Yeah. That's another thing about the movie is Brad Pitt sort of like gets involved with the Manson family. Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah. They, he goes to the ranch. We're going to spoil the shit out of this movie in a little bit. Here. He goes to the ranch where he meets Bruce Dern's character. Yes. His name is George. George Spawn, the Spawn Ranch. And Dakota Fanning is there. Uh-huh. She plays with a, Cassie from Euphoria. Yes, Cassie. Uh-huh. That was like a great moment of tension building. Great tension. Almost like some horror movie elements. Because Brad Pitt is like slowly walking to that mm-hmm. cabin or whatever it is. Yeah. And you don't know what's in there. We like the way they set it up basically, it seems like we all think George is not there and he's like gonna be dead or something. Like, that's how I took it. They were like, because when he was like, can I go see George? They were all like, they all like tensed up and they're like, uh, no, 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 he's, he's napping. And I was like, this seems like you all did something to him. Yeah. And then when uh, Cliff Booth walks mm-hmm. in there and he's like, where's George? And Dakota Fanning's sitting there and she mm-hmm. goes, he's in his bedroom asleep. He's like, well, I'm going to go wake him up. And she goes, well, you better shake him pretty hard because I fucked his brains out this morning. You're just like, what? <laughs> he's like 90 years old. Yeah, he's the old dude in The Hateful Eight. <laughs> and she's like 20. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. I mean, every that that whole there's some scenes in this movie that are just all, all like automatically rewatchable. Like I can tell it's going to be a movie that like whenever it's on TV, I'll just turn on and there's like just certain parts of it you're like, "Oh, we're at the he's at the ranch. Okay, we're doing this. Oh, it's Leo at the at the western. He's shooting this the scene." Like there's just certain parts that are going to be iconic and rewatchable. It's so edgy at times that only Tarantino could have done it. Yeah, there's a lot of like that's what thing about his movies. Like a lot of them, like just the way they're written and shot and directed, and like some of the decisions he makes, especially when he rewrites history, like he did again. Only like how many people get away with that besides him? He He's did, setting like a foundation that like you can break the rules and get away with it. I remember he did get controversy and some backlash when he did that with Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah, because you know some people make. Uh, you're con- talking about World War Two and Nazis. Not not this is like that's that, that's on a different level almost, but he's still like it works and everybody loves that movie. I watched an interview, oh, that had Tarantino in it, and they asked him like, why did you decide to kill Hitler and Inglorious Bastards? Mm-hmm. He's like, well, the movie is about two plots about destroying Hitler and the Nazis. Yeah, and I had to decide, do I want to kill Hitler or not? He's mm-hmm. like, and I woke up at four a.m. one morning in a cold sweat, and I wrote it down. I said, <laughs> I'll just kill Hitler. Why not? Why not kill Hitler? Why not have, um, what's his face, Eli Roth unleash five rounds of AK-47 <laughs> into Hitler? Now, I heard him say, there was an interview where he was like, basically, I believe that the characters I created, if they had actually lived during the World War II, like if they'd been a part of it, then that's exactly how it would've, things would have played out. So he thinks if Aldo Rain and uh, Christoph Waltz's character, he thinks if those were real people, that that's actually how World War II would have ended. That's like a, such a crazy way to think about it. <laughs> sort of a fun fact about Inglorious Bastards. We'll get back to Once Upon a Time here in a minute. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a scene towards the end of the movie when they're at the theater where Waltz's character, Hans Landa, he lunges, yeah, that's what his name is. He lunges at uh, Diane Kruger's character, mm-hmm. Bridget von Hammersmark. Yes. And he chokes her. He chokes her to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they shot that scene, uh, Tarantino told Waltz to actually choke her. Uh-huh. And Waltz was not comfortable doing that. So the hands you see in the movie around are Tarantino's. are Tarantino's hands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could I could imagine saying yeah, I'm not gonna choke somebody. <laughs> I mean, Waltz is a pretty like sophisticated man. Yeah, and Tarantino's like do it for the film. Mm-hmm. Like Kruger was okay with it. Mm-hmm. Tarantino was okay with it, but Waltz was not. All right, so let's circle back to Once Upon a Time. I think this is just like a 
you almost don't see these anymore besides like the Avengers movies and Marvel, which I wouldn't even count. This is just a classic hit summer movie. Big movie stars, good director, great cast, just a giant cast. Great, by the way. great soundtrack. Great! Oh, the soundtrack is oh incredible. Full of so know, fitting. Sixty songs, you know. Uh-huh. It's like when you watch the movie, you feel like you're in the '60s. That's what I love about his movies. I can like feel like I feel like I'm a part of this this culture that he's created. This atmosphere. He often does period pieces like mm-hmm. Django and Hateful Eight took place during the Civil War, mm-hmm. and obviously Inglorious is takes place during World War Two. When he makes these period pieces, you feel like you're traveling back yes. in time. Like I feel like I'm sitting in the back of the car with them as they travel, as they drive around LA, or like in Hateful Eight. I feel like I'm just sitting in a rocking chair in yes. the corner of Minnie's Haberdashery, just watching all this go down. Some of my favorite scenes in Once Upon a Time. It's just when Brad Pitt is just like driving around downtown Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and they like, have like, and then there's references in like the radio ads. Yeah, when there's the radio not ads, ads, it's like the the music, and the he's music. seeing the one girl. It's like. And then the vibrant colors just everywhere outside the windows. Like, nothing big is happening like a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. It's just Brad Pitt driving around town, and you're fully interested in it. I'm just enjoying it. You just like... Like, you can have a driving scene where it's just boring, or you can have it like this, where nothing's even being said, but, like, the music, the soundtrack, everything outside, everything going around, just the atmosphere is entertaining. I think a good way to describe the movie is, until, like, the last 20 minutes when it gets crazy... Mm-hmm. It just feels like you're hanging out with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. It does. Yeah, two of the biggest stars in the world. It just feels like you're hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. That's like the beauty of this movie is it's not some big action movie. You know, it's not mm-hmm. Avengers Endgame or mm-hmm. Black Panther or whatever. I, yeah. You're just hanging out with an actor and a stunt double. Mm-hmm. And I think they do a good job of, uh, like, I don't know how to say this, humanitizing uh, big Hollywood stars like Sharon Tate's a, a movie star, but like you see her go to the movie theater and watch her own movie and like monitor the crowd, like almost to like search for approval for her performance. It's like, oh wait, these people are still like, even though these might be like nowadays, like say it's like Natalie Portman or someone. It's like these people are still insecure and they want confirmation that what they're doing is good. And it's like, and you see with like Rick Dalton, Leo's character is supposed to be this big movie star, but even he's having some like existential crisis as he ages out of uh, his famous TV show and he struggles and he has to go to Italy, like stuff like that. Uh, They bring a lot of human elements to uh, traditional movie stars, I guess. When Tarantino won his Oscar for Django Unchained for Mm -hmm. Best Original Screenplay, he said, people knowing my movies 30 or 50 years from now, it's because of the characters that I created. And I only have one chance to get it right. Yeah. I have to catch the right people to make those characters come alive and hopefully live for a long time. Yeah. He and, writes these parts for specific actors generally. And he they're casted perfectly each time, and Once mm-hmm. Upon a Time is no exception. And I think, like, the more movies he makes, he keeps on kind of recycling the same kind of actors and actresses. And he's kind of – it's great. He's, like, developed a chemistry with them, and he knows how to write their parts perfectly for them rather than, like, hey, I wrote this part, but let's try out 40 people at the – at, at a uh, casting se- session. Yeah, and the thing about Margot Robbie in this movie is she doesn't have a lot of dialogue, maybe like three or four lines of dialogue in the entire movie, but mm-hmm. she's in it a lot. Because what she does with her face. You really believe that she that Margot Robbie is Sharon Tate, mm-hmm. and I feel like you can't recast her. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. a character who has so such little dialogue, I feel like cannot be recast. Like every, that- Margot Robbie is one of those like few women who's just like so 
beautiful that like every time she's on the screen it doesn't even matter it just attracts your attention she doesn't have to say anything or do anything like if you casted jennifer lawrence or scarlett johansson mm-hmm. like i don't see it i can't yeah i, I didn't I, I haven't taken margot robbie like completely seriously i don't think as an actress yet i'm just like oh yeah that's the really hot chick from like the wolf of wall street and suicide squad but no she was impressive in this movie i mean she was good in wolf of wall street too but mm-hmm. like i think i thought that was more like sex appeal than anything else it's like I think, like, you know you're good when you're in a Tarantino movie. Yeah, and you're a major part. <laughs> That's, like, the threshold of what being a great actor is in 2019. I mean, okay, let me just go through this cast here. I'm just going to start listing people. All right, so Margot Robbie, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. Then you got Dakota Fanning, Luke Perry, Damian Lewis, Al Pacino, Kurt Russell, Timothy Oliphant. Michael Madsen's in there for a second. Mike Moe's the dude that plays Bruce Lee. Just a, an all-star cast. Yeah, and unfortunately, this is Luke Perry's last movie before he passed away. Mm-hmm. So, may yeah. he rest in peace. But he was a uh, he was mm-hmm. in, in it for a long time. But he was good. Mm-hmm. In the a few, lot of dude, a lot of guys just playing like small parts. They come in for a few minutes and are nailing it. If Tim Roth was cut from the film and said in the credits, uh-huh. which you know Tim Roth, he's in every Tarantino movie. Basically, yeah, he's in Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. Hateful Eight. Well, because after Reservoir Dogs came out and it was huge in. Uh, the United Kingdom because Tim Roth. He's like, all right, <laughs> shit, okay. This is how to appeal to my British audience. Uh, and I think this movie is going to age really well. Like, I feel like in 30 years you could watch this and it won't look any different because, again, he's going back in time. Like, it's already set in the 70s and it, it looks great. Like, the aesthetic of the movie, I think, is really good. Uh, like, just uh, the costume design, everything Brad Pitt wears is, like, timeless almost. Yeah. Like, when is a, when is a jean jacket, jeans, moccasins, like I said earlier, when is that not going to look good on Brad Pitt? I, like, <laughs> after I watched the movie, I was like, I want to be Brad Pitt. I want to be Brad Pitt. Like, I want those sunglasses. I want that sports <laughs> car, that 60s sports car that he drives around yeah. town. It's like, he's, like, the coolest character. Mm-hmm. I want the long hair. I want to be flipping my car keys as people yell at me. And then I go beat the crap out of some random... Yes, you beat that guy at the, the ranch. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. I think we'll save the rest of our conversation about this movie for later. Um, Want to get into our top five? Yeah, let's do it. I'll let you go first. Okay, coming in at my number five spot. Mm-hmm. I have Reservoir Dogs. Oh, I love this movie. Uh, now, when I originally made my list, mm-hmm. I had The Hateful Eight at number five. Mm-hmm. But the more I started to think about it, the more Reservoir Dogs sort of resonated with me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I feel like Reservoir Dogs might be more rewatchable. Yeah. I mean, The Hateful Eight is almost twice as long as Reservoir Dogs. I think Reservoir Dogs is also more, like, game-changing and unique. Like, yeah. You, we, nobody had seen a movie like Reservoir Dogs until it came out. So Hateful Eight did not make my list, but... It's a good movie. Though. I had it at the five spot originally, but I replaced it with Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. And... I rewatched Reservoir Dogs last week to sort of prepare myself for Once Upon a Time. Yeah. And I sort of forgot just how good it was for, like, when it you keep your attention. When you look at a director's first film, you can mm-hmm. tell sometimes they're sort of figuring things out as a yeah. director. But, like, Tarantino nailed it on his first try. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like, also, it was his first, like, um, I guess the, the first movie he wrote. I feel like for screenwriters, a lot of times, their first movie is usually pretty good because they just have all this content they've had in their heads for their first 25 years of their life, and they just unleash it. So, like, just, like, the conversations the bank, ro- the bank robber or the whatever the criminals have 
uh, they're just conversations that like you or me, you and I would have like during a cross country run back in high school. Like I think that's the first time Tarantino kind of laid his stamp that like, oh, you can have dialogue that's just completely random but is really captivating. Yeah, and sort of like the whole idea that somebody was a cop that ratted them out. You know, mm-hmm. when you're watching it for the first time. That's like the first time. You yeah. really have no idea. And then, of course, spoiler alert. I mean, it came out in 1992. You have plenty yeah, of time If you haven't it. watched it yet, that's on you. It's been 27 years. Of course, Tim Roth, Tim Roth's character uh-huh. was the rat. Uh, I forgot. I think he was Mr. Mr. Orange. Brown? I think or- he was Mr. Orange. Who was Mr. Brown? I think Mr. Brown was uh, Mr. Brown and Mr. Blue both just died. Mr. Brown was Tarantino. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes, even that conversation at the very beginning where they're having a conversation about the Madonna song, "Like a Virgin." He's like, "Oh, yeah. it's about a guy with a big dick." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Reservoir Dogs might have one of my top five favorite Tarantino scenes, mm-hmm. and that's when uh, Mr. Blonde, Michael Madsen, cuts <laughs> the cop's ear off. Yes. And they got that song playing in the background. I forget what it's called. It's so disturbing yet so like intriguing, mm-hmm. so entertaining, and I find it very rewatchable. It's real, like there's parts of it that are just like uncomfortable. Like just the the tip, when Tim Roth gets shot and he's in the car, just like s- like squealing in pain. It's so uncomfortable, but yet like it just works. Like you can just like you're like, oh, I sympathize with him. He got shot in the gut, and this is yeah. what it seems like it's actually like to get shot in the gut. Because in like half the movies we watch nowadays, you get shot in the gut, you're up running like five seconds later. Like in Face Off, when we talked about on yeah. the, <laughs> those dudes get the shit beat out of them, and nothing happens. They get shot like twice, stabbed in the knee. Yeah. Okay, what's your number five? Okay, my number five, uh, Jackie Brown. Really? Yeah. I rewatched Jackie Brown earlier today, and I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. I liked it though. I was a fan. Like I just, the plot aged really well. Um, it's called. It, I read about it. They're like, oh, it's Tarantino's most sophisticated and mature movie. I, I, to be quite honest, I don't really pay attention to that. Uh, I, we get a little bit of Pulp Fiction Samuel L. Jackson in there. Like his line, he's just great with the Tarantino script. He knows what to do. Tarantino knows how to write him, uh, write a good part for him. Uh, Robert De Niro is just awkward and weird and really good. And then um, Pam Greer's really good as Jackie Brown. And, like, it's this weird kind of film that, like, is really character-driven instead of, like, just, like, weird dialogue and, like, uh, chopped plot. Like, it has a good plot. Like, and I think it just it's – it's a concept that, like, oh, okay, so this chick is going to screw over both the police and the gangster and somehow get away with it with the help of a bond agent. It's hard to explain, but I don't know. I just, I've, I really enjoyed it on a second watch. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll just go in and say it. Jackie Brown did not make my top five. <laughs> I didn't think it would. Um, I feel like not a lot of people watch have seen Jackie Brown compared I, to most Tarantino films. I think it's on Netflix, but, um, I do think it's an underrated movie, but I don't think it's Tarantino's best or his top five, I should say. Mm-hmm. I can like I can. It's a little slow at points, and there's times when I'm like, okay, this isn't like as like bam, like entertaining and like uh, as perpetually captivating as most Tarantino films. Uh, but I like the performances, and you kind of it's weird. You kind of stay with just like five characters the whole time, and there's young Michael Keaton, which is which yes, is refreshing. <laughs> But no, yeah, you just kind of pinball between these same few characters, and this plot just gets more intense and more intense, and then you realize, oh shit, the the dumbass girl who's the flight attendant just screwed over everybody and got the $500,000. I don't know. I just liked it. Um, 
And it probably hasn't aged real great mm. compared to some of the other stuff. I do think it's underseen. It's more like a normal movie than any of his other films, I'd say. It's, yeah, that's it's the most un-Tarantino movie, I'd say. Yeah. That doesn't make it not great, not good, but you know you know what Tarantino's like. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> My number four, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right. I like it. It's, it's still kind of fresh, you know. Very fresh. Very fresh. We saw it two, two nights ago. Two I saw nights it, ago. I saw it last night again. <laughs> um, but I just loved it. I know... Like, I was tempted to put it in, like, my top three, mm-hmm. but I decided four was a good spot. You were like, I'm not going to let emotion just completely take me over. And also, because I don't know how it's going to age. I, I think it's going to age incredibly. I do think it's going to age well, and it could climb higher on my list. But mm-hmm. as of right now, i got to keep it at the four spot. We've already talked about it, yeah. but, you know, I can't say enough good things about it. I, neither can I. Uh, okay, so my number four is Inglorious Bastards. Hmm, I thought that would be higher for you. Yeah, um... Honestly, at at this point now, I love all these movies. Jackie Brown, I'm a little shaky on. It was, I kind of just threw it in there. I could, I, it was a tough decision between that and a few other things. But no, Inglorious is just two and a half hours of pure entertainment, and it revolves around killing Hitler in Nazi Germany. It's a different watch than Schindler's List. I'll go. I'll go ahead and say. It's a different watch than any <laughs> World War II movie. Yeah, well, because it's completely different. They have Hitler get. Just machine gun to death, and they blow up a movie theater with all of the high-ranking German officials. Now, while we're talking about it, I was going to say, Inglorious Bastards was my number three. Mm-hmm. So I think you know you're four, my three. Inglorious Bastards. We're going to have a conversation. I think it's not Tarantino's best movie, in my opinion, but I think it's his best accomplishment. Yeah, as a filmmaker, I'd say he's like some of his best work is in there. It's a very ambitious movie, and. Mm-hmm. The movie is basically just like five 30-minute scenes. Yes. That's, that's basically what the movie is. Mm-hmm. In all five parts, you're totally intrigued, especially and the they're first. And they're very different. The first part, the first segment, I should say, titled uh-huh. Once Upon a Time in Nazi-Occupied France. Mm, maybe a little homage to what was to come, Once yes. Upon a Time. <laughs> that is one of the most terrifying like mm-hmm. dialogue scenes between two characters mm-hmm. where they start out in French and then they turn to English yeah. So the French Jews wouldn't hear them or kind of. And you know the them. whole time it's inevitable that these these Jewish people that are hiding, they're gonna die. And, and you can read the dude's face, the the dairy farmer, he's just like, This sucks. And I just love the change in tone, like when <laughs> Christoph Waltz or Hans Landa, I should say, when he first walks in, mm-hmm. he's being like Mr. Happy, like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is your home, I'm your guest. May I have a glass of milk, may yeah. I smoke my pipe? Mm-hmm. And then he does that you're sheltering enemies mm-hmm. of the state, are you not? Mm-hmm. And you can just feel the tone. I, I feel like he dominates the room as soon as he walks in. He's like, point out to the areas where they're hiding. Mm-hmm. And you can just feel like all hope is lost. You can feel the tone shift. Mm-hmm. And like your heart just sinks when that happens. And he has one of the best lines, I think, from a Tarantino movie where he's like, he's like, facts can be so misleading. Rumors, whether true or false, are often revealing. I love his voice when he does that because yeah. the guy goes, I've only heard rumors. Then he just goes, I love rumors. Like, facts can be so misleading. <laughs> rumors. True or false are often revealing. <laughs> and then the scene ends with him saying, Au revoir, Shoshana. <laughs> so definitely one of my favorite uh, segments from a Tarantino movie was that mm-hmm. opening 20 minutes. And then I think, I think yeah, while Waltz is great, honestly, like, everybody loves like, the, to look back at this movie as, oh, this is Waltz's movie, his best performance. I thought Pitt was awesome. Outer Rain is, again, like just an iconic character. 
The, the accent is horrible. I love the like, accent. The accent's completely inaccurate, but I love it. I love how ridiculous the accent is. He's like, I got a little engine in me. <laughs> He's like, we're in the killing Nazi business. And cousin, business is a booming. <laughs> This, he's just phenomenal in the movie. He owns but, the screen um, every time he's on it. Another scene I want to talk about is I know you love this scene. It's the the bar scene. Everybody, it's it might it's one of the five greatest scenes I think in in movies. The worst, ever. in my opinion, the worst part about this movie was how little Fassbender was in it. Yeah, I, I think I read that he was supposed to be the um, he was so he tried out for like several different parts. Uh, I think for. Um, in this movie, I think he tried out for Waltz's part, but ultimately, like they settled it on this part, and he killed it. He killed it. He was excellent. Much like how I thought Pitt stole Once Upon a Time, I think Fassbender mm-hmm. stole Inglorious Bastards. I think yeah, this is the most iconic moment from the movie. And at at this point in his career, Fassbender was kind of a nobody. Like this is like his first big project. He still really hasn't like hit like really exploded yet. I don't he think. did. He did X Men First Class in 2011. Mm-hmm. So he that did. was like his big break. What was that movie we saw him in the, like a couple years ago? I think it was like Alien Covenant. Alien Covenant, yeah. There were two Michael Fassbenders. <laughs> He's also in Prometheus, mm. which was also in the Alien franchise. I mean, he hasn't really been just like a star in a big movie. He got nominated for an Oscar for Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I think that's his only Oscar nomination, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it is. I don't if know. If he qualified for enough time, he should have gotten one for this because this is just – he just came in and like hit like two grand slams and was out. <laughs> and like this, when he holds up that three, like as soon as he does, it, like you can he just knows feel it in the room. He knows you, it's over. You can feel it through the screen. Like just the guys. I don't know who that actor is. I think his name's like Austin Gile or something like that. So he was incredible. He was great too. I, I mean, lo- he's just as important as Fassbender. <laughs> One of my favorite dialogue exchanges was when um, Fassbender says in German. He mm-hmm. says. Uh, when they're pointing their guns at each other, at each other's balls, he was like, he's like, what's going to happen here is we're all going to stand up and we're going to walk out and we're all going to forget. And then the German guy, he says, no, no, no. No matter what happens, we both know you and I aren't going anywhere. And and then that's when you realize, and, he's, and, he, and he has that line, he's like, well, old boy, if this is it, I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking the kings. Like, just like, what, what, like, Carantino is just like on the top of the mountain and he's like let me just like sing like, no- I, this is this is my peak <laughs> nobody can write dialogue better than Tarantino the kings like come on the are kings. you serious he's like and about this pickle we're in <laughs> you know there's a special rung in hell <laughs> for those who always get scotch seeing as I might be rapping on the door and drinks his I'll say damn good scotch and he's like there's only one thing left to do Stiglitz seems like say off Wuss and Dufty and Nazi balls. <laughs> anyway, so what's your number three? Okay. Um, also, in Inglorious Bastards, I love the last scene too. Like just like the final little like three minute scene where he, with, where he carves the the um, I love it when swastika a, into his forehead. I love when Pitt shoots that one guy and Waltz is like, "What have you done?" And then Pitt goes, ah, "They don't give a fuck about him. They need you." He's like, "I've been shoot out before." <laughs> And he's, he's like, they're going to kill you. He's like, nah, more like chewed out. I've been chewed out. Before. He's got Ryan from the office. He's like, give me that scalp. Oh, the other one, when him and Ryan from the office, Ryan Howard. Um, oh, shoot. BJ Novak. What's what's I know. Udovich. Udovich. When, when they're negotiating, that's another great scene. Yeah. Because it's like, like two the two most powerful people in this movie, I'd say, like, like the, the, the two pillars of each side of the war. They're just like going at it in conversation with completely different philosophies. It's like know, it's Al- really, Rain, it's very interesting. Aldo Rain, Hans Landa. Mm-hmm. It's like they meet one meets their other's equal. Mm-hmm. Like 
Sort of like when Al Pacino and Robert De Niro meet each other in heat. <laughs> yes. It's sort of like the two best me- – it's like the meeting of the minds. Mm-hmm. Okay, my number three is Reservoir Dogs. Mm. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, a, a, a Diamond Heist movie without the Diamond Heist in it. Or exactly. Ex- excellent. Like, who could pull that off? Just the, the list of just uh, generational things and – Stuff you just never seen before in a movie that Tarantino pulls off in his first film. Now that they look like, oh, that's classic Tarantino. But at the time, it's like, no, 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 nobody's like seen this. It failed in America at the box office, uh, which I can see how that happened. People are like, what? There's no. It doesn't really have any stars in it. Bushimi wasn't big yet. Madsen, uh, the guy who plays the wolf in Pulp Fiction. None of those dudes are really big yet. I don't think. Um, but going back to it. Uh, I think it ages well because, one, they're all dressed in suits. When you're dressed in a yeah. suit, you're like – I think most of what makes a movie age bad visually is the clothes. Like if you, like I, my favorite movie is Good Will Hunting. But even like when you go back and watch it, I'm like, why is Ben Affleck in a blue and white jumpsuit like half the movie? <laughs> like stuff like that. But no, no, it looks good. The dialogue's great. Uh, it's these just awful people, these criminals. And the worst of them comes out like just because of the situation. And it's just – a a perpetually compelling film that keeps your attention from start to finish without showing like the actual climax the yeah the bank heist or the heist not bank heist it's sort of unrelated but when you said stuff that doesn't age well mm-hmm. you don't see it in this movie but flip phones yes like in the departed they use, <laughs> yeah. they use them every five seconds and when you mm-hmm. watch The Departed now, that's like the only thing about The Departed that doesn't really age well. You're like, oh yeah, now, flip phone. Never use phones in movies because you know what? They're always going to age poorly because phones al- are always changing. They're always getting better unless more, you're trying to be intentional. Advanced. Unless you're being intentionally old. And, All yeah. right, but no, I mean with Reservoir Dogs, yeah. Are you ready and, for number I love two? Movie. Uh, yeah, you're number two. Pulp Fiction, classic. I, I've got. A, is this the most entertaining movie of all time? Like, just purely entertainment. Not not accomplishment or storyline or anything, but, like, is there a more entertaining movie at certain parts than Pulp Fiction? I really wanted to make it my number one, but the one thing that I don't think ages well about this movie is the Gold Watch segment. Really? The Gold Watch segment's awesome. I think I think the, the first part, basically you have, like, three parts of the movie – Told out of order. It's like it's kind of like inglorious, where there's just like five scenes. I think to an extent, the parts that have John Travolta and Samuel Jackson, mm-hmm. like Samuel Jackson, steals the movie. Yeah, yeah, he's probably one of the most iconic characters in American film. And whenever I rewatch Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. which I probably do like two or three times a year, maybe more than that now. I mean, mm-hmm. I watch it all. I watched it earlier today. I I probably do watch it more uh, nowadays, but. Mm-hmm. Whenever I watch it, I feel like when I get to the gold watch part, I feel like kind of like fast forwarding through it to get back to Samuel Jackson. The gold, like with with Christopher Walken. I well, I think that's like, a great little three minute speech. Like the, I mean, like the whole like Bruce Willis. The Bruce Willis girlfriend is what is is what it's it's the red herring on the movie. Like, just get rid of it. The Bruce Willis girlfriend makes no sense to me. And I don't understand reason, why it's in the movie. Another reason I fast forward is because. Uh, they do some pretty ugly stuff to Marcellus Wallace. Anal rape. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't gonna say it, but now that you now gay that, anal rape. The that, cat's <laughs> out of the bag. But uh, I don't think anybody could put gay anal rape in an age well. 
but <laughs> it's pretty ugly stuff and it's hard to mm-hmm. watch. So sometimes I'd be like, I need to skip through this, you know? Yeah, this that middle kind of like, I guess middle hour or so. It's like I want to see John Travolta shoot Marvin in the face. Yeah, you know, like the last the last act of the movie mm-hmm. from shooting Marvin in the face all the way through the diner scene at the yeah. end of the movie. It's phenomenal. And then the first part, like from uh, Jules and uh, Vic. Or Vincent Vega go into the ha- go into the apartment, and then Vincent and they do all that. Then Vincent goes to the and takes uh, Mrs. Wallace out. Like I love that whole scene. Just that whole that whole first like forty five minutes is awesome. Yeah, and uh, the diner scene at the very end. Samuel, the diner scene at the beginning too. Yeah, Samuel Jackson's uh, speech to Tim Roth that mm-hmm. I think is one of the best monologues in yeah. movie history. When he's like, "I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to beat the shepherd." <laughs> He's like, now count the money and take it. And then John Travolta goes, Jules, if you get this fucking Nimrod $1,500, I'll shoot him on general principle. <laughs> and then Yolanda starts screaming. He's like, no, Yolanda, he ain't going to do a goddamn thing. Yolanda, Yolanda! He's like, turn that bitch and show up! He's like, Vincent, shut the fuck up! God, I wish we could just play every Samuel Jackson line on here. Oh, he's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. He is. He's like English he, motherfucker. Do you speak it? <laughs> when he says the uh, the Bible verse to Tim Roth at yeah. the end, he's like, "Usually, if you heard that, it meant your ass." <laughs> but I'm buying your life. He's like, "Never really thought about what it means." He's like, "I'm giving you this money so I don't have to kill your ass." I mean, just every whenever it's on television, I'm watching it. First of all, like I'm yeah. jumping in. As long as we're not doing Bruce Willis and his Asian girlfriend, I'm in. Cause like I'm like oh wait they got the wolf oh okay we got this whole part I love that oh we're in we're in the diner that's awesome scene oh it's Jules and Vincent all right great oh we're in the uh, we're in the place where they dance I forget what it's called where he's taking out uh, Marcellus's wife uh, it's like something rabbit yeah something something rabbit with like Marilyn Monroe is the waitress yeah I love that scene too it's on, all the dialogue's great. I mean, everything about this movie is age well, except for Bruce Willis <laughs> in gay anal rape. Yeah, I'd say that. <laughs> and uh, it's on Netflix, and sometimes I'll be scrolling through Netflix looking for. Something oh, I just to put watch. it on all the time. I'll be like, I'll just watch Pulp Fiction again. It you know, never gets old. I could I could watch the Big Kahuna Burger scene fifteen times in a row. He's like, mm, this is a tasty burger. Can I have a beverage to wash? <laughs> He's like, what's in here? He goes, Sprite. He's like, good Sprite. <laughs> He, he's, he starts trying to reason with him, and then he just shoots the kid. He's like, did you lose your concentration? <laughs> oh, you were finished. Well, allow me to retort. He's like, what does Marcellus Wallace look like? He's like, what? He goes, does he look like a, a bitch? bitch? What? Does he <laughs> look like a bitch? No, then why are you trying to fuck him like one? <laughs> the only person Marcellus Wallace wants to be fucked by is Mrs. Wallace. Ironically, he gets fucked later in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so you're number two. Okay, my number two, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. I, I, I watched it again, and I think it raised – it made it higher on my list uh, because, like, the second time I watched like, everything is, is, like, meta and, like, a reference to something else. Like, there is never just a dull moment in this movie. You, you can watch this movie five times in a row, and you will get more and more out of it each and every time. Speaking of the references uh – Part of the movie that's narrated by Kurt Russell. Yeah. He talks about the movies that DiCaprio, or Rick Dalton, I should say, made in Italy. Mm-hmm. And one of them was directed by Antonio Margariti. Yeah. Margariti. He was an Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. So. That was a nice little callback. Yeah. There's always 
cross references. Um, it's hard to like kind of riff on everything about this movie because like I've only seen it twice. You know, I saw it back to back nights. Like I've only seen it twice. I don't have it to go look at right now. Uh, but just Brad Pitt's character. Every time he's on screen, I'm like, I want to be Brad Pitt. He is like the embodiment of cool. He's the cool. Like he, I, I, I genuinely believe this. Like. There is no situation in which Brad Pitt is born and he's not a, a movie star. Like, that's just what he's meant to be. Yeah, there's also... Just the look, the way he walks, talks, like, just everything about him is so cool. His charisma, his energy. A great example of this is early on in the movie. Mm-hmm. After he drops Cap- or Rick Dalton off at his house and he goes back to his trailer, mm-hmm. there's a scene, like a three-minute scene, mm-hmm. where he makes his dog's dinner. Yeah. And, like... It's interesting. He, it is. It's intriguing. He's I don't making know why. mac and cheese with a wooden spoon and feeding his dog, but it's Brad Pitt. So you're like, this is. It's like, why am I interested in this? <laughs> yeah. Like, why am I smiling? Why are my eyes glued to the screen? I love, I love when character introductions in movies the first time they're on the screen, because like it just kind of establishes who they are. Brad Pitt walks in, sunglasses, jean jacket, <laughs> and you're just like. And he's following Leo, but I'm like, he is the coolest person in the entire world. Right and then, now. then Al Pacino goes, "Is this your son?" And yeah. he's like, "No, it's my stunt double." Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I, I'm trying to think of even more stuff that I love. But Leo's performance, like everything he has to do, he has to do so much in this movie. Like he, first of all, he has like 25 different hairdos. He has to go through like 30 30 states of emotion, like every like in the two days that this takes place. Basically. He has a stutter. Yeah. He's got an accent, too, which they give him. He's kind of got, like, the accent from Django. Um, this was DiCaprio's first movie since The Revenant, which came yeah, out Yeah, he's been dormant for a while. But, no, he nailed it. Like the, my, One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when, after he, he gets he messes up during the one yeah. uh, during the one shooting with Timothy Oliphant in the, in the bar. Uh, and then he goes back into his trailer, and he just starts, like, he's like, God damn it! And he's like... I can't even I can't reenact it of course because I'm not freaking Leonardo DiCaprio but he's like it's all those whiskey sours he's like and he looks in the mirror he's like I'm gonna blow your brains out if you mess this up again <laughs> like it's just Leo going crazy for like three and a half minutes but it's so funny and entertaining I I'd laugh say, my ass off the second time I watched that it's definitely Tarantino's funniest movie uh, <laughs> we love pussy <laughs> yes we do <laughs> one of my uh, one of my favorite lines from the movie is uh, the fight scene with uh, Cliff Booth and Bruce Lee Oh, that's and, one of my, that's a great scene too. And uh, Bruce Lee goes, he's like, if we fight and accidentally kill you, I go to jail. And then Brad Pitt goes, yeah, if anybody accidentally kills somebody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. <laughs> I feel like we got like a little bit of Inglorious Bastards, Brad Pitt, like that kind of act, that kind of voice. Yeah, he's like just like the kind of like I'm smarter than you, and I'm going to say it really simply and slow so you understand here. He's like, it's called manslaughter. <laughs> I love when he picks the one girl up. I forget what her I I don't know what that actress's name is. But her name in the movie is Pussycat. Yeah. Uh that scene's great. I don't know why I like it so much, but it works. Oh yeah. There's like quietly driving and she goes, You want me to suck your cock? He's, he's like, like, How old are you? He's like, You got a driver's license or something? And she's like, No, and he's like, You don't have a driver's license proving when you're eighteen because you are not. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to jail for poontang. <laughs> You know, they've been trying to get me for years, and I'm not going to jail because of you. Uh, Brad Pitt is phenomenal. Yeah, he he really is. Like he's, he, you know, he's like nine years older than Leonardo DiCaprio. That's that's incredible. He's 55. What 55 year old man looks like Brad Pitt? 
He's he's aged pretty well. Yeah, I, he no, he's aging. He's gonna age incredibly well. He's like the most handsome man in the history of the world. He, how old was he when he did seven? Uh, seven was in ninety five. Uh, so I mean, he'd be thirty one or so. He looks he looks better then than he did yeah. like when he did seven. Yeah, I like he, it's Brad Pitt. Like I, I love having Brad Pitt in a movie. My friend. Oh, my friend Kenny texted me. He was like, he's like, I heard it's over. He's like, I heard it's not that good, and it's only good because Leo, Brad Pitt, and Tarantino are in it. I'm like, well, yeah. That's movies, why. movies are generally pretty. If you took out the two stars and the director, one of the best directors ever, yeah, the movie wouldn't be good. But it, like, it's great because it has all those people. No, Brad Pitt, I, his performance is all time. I don't think he'll get nominated for best actor. Cause like I, I think most of what he does, he's just like it's not like he's doing a ton. He's just like so cool, and you're like I want to be this guy, but I'm not sure that's like great acting necessarily. But I mean, he's a great actor. I don't know. I don't know how to necessarily describe what he is in this. Well, movie. Uh, Pitt has a movie coming out later this year called Ad Astra. It's a space <laughs> sci-fi movie. Oh boy! I think. Uh, is he going to star in it, or is he like a, He's a role in it. player? I think if that movie does well, I think movie producers will probably push for him to get nominated for that. Over this? Yeah, because I think they'll probably they'll want, want Leo to. They'll probably want DiCaprio to make the Oscar run for Once Upon I, I'm a Time. Honestly, I haven't, I haven't seen a ton of movies this year, but I don't know what's standing in his way from winning a, the Best Actor Oscar. I think DiCaprio could definitely do it, but mm-hmm. I think it depends on the competition later this year. Yeah. Because most Oscar films don't come out until like October, November, December. This movie better make um list for best picture. Like it's the best movie that's gonna come out this year. I'll go ahead and spoil it for you. It's gonna be the best movie that comes out in twenty nineteen. I'm I it's it's an incredible movie. You've heard us rave about it. Nothing's gonna come out that's better, but yet it probably, it might not even get nominated for best picture, which is ludicrous. That's typically how it goes. The best movie doesn't get nominated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the hateful eight wasn't nominated, mm-hmm. and I think it should have been. Yeah. Django and Chain was nominated. Mm-hmm. And Goris was nominated. He hasn't won one, has he? he no, he hasn't. Uh, he hasn't won a best picture. Tarantino has not won a best. He's picture. won a few best screenplays, which is, this will get nominated for best screenplay for sure. Tarantino has been nominated for best picture three times: mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction, Inglorious, Django. Yeah, he won best screenplay for Pulp Fiction and Django, mm-hmm. and he is nominated for best director for Inglorious. Yeah, so those are like his three, you know, mm-hmm. best award movies, I should say. All right. Well, to conclude our conversation about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think this movie's going to get better with age, like a fine wine. I think it will, like LeBron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to get bad. Because, look, it's it's not like a movie that takes place currently. It takes place in <laughs> what they call the golden era of Hollywood. It mixes uh, major historical events, like the Charles Manson murder. Actually, you know, we haven't talked about that. Like, what they did with that was they've got Brad Pitt on acid killing the Manson murderers. It was and it was so entertaining. It was ridiculously violent and like sickeningly vile. Like what the amount of blood and gore went going on. But I don't care. I was entertained by it. I didn't expect it to happen because before that happens, the the members of the Manson family drive up the street mm-hmm. and they stop in front of Rick Dalton's house. Yeah, and Rick Dalton is wasted. Yeah, and he walks down. And he starts yelling at them. He's like, "You're just a bunch of hippies trying to find a dark spot to smoke your pot." And he's, he's like, "Get out of here!" He's like, "I'm calling the cops next time." <laughs> and then, like, I thought that'd be the end of it. 
Uh-huh. I thought that was the extent, but then they come back up. I knew we had 15, 20 more minutes. I was like, hmm. They're just like, they're just like why don't we just kill him? They, they, they have the conversation in the car where the girl's like, these actors on TV murdering all these people, they taught us to be the murderers. So why don't we murder them, man? That one girl goes off, and then she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't watch every fascist on the 50, in the 50s or whatever. And then they go back up and kill her. Um, or they go back up to kill Leo with the intent of killing him. Uh, and they walk in, and Brad Pitt's like, "Whoa!" <laughs> no, he, before he smokes the cigarette that was laced yes. with acid. Oh, I love this! The, the end of this movie is one of the best scenes. And he just goes, <laughs> "The train has left the station." <laughs> he goes, "And here we go." <laughs> the, by the way, that's in. They say that in Jackie Brown. They say the exact same line Samuel Jackson does. And I was like, hmm, "Maybe he borrowed that." I don't know. Uh, Tarantino but, is inspired by his own films. That doesn't surprise me. Anyway, so um, he's not an unselfish man. I'd say he's got a. I'd say he's got a rather large ego. So there's three of the Manson family members: mm-hmm. Pitt or Tex Booth kills two of them. Yeah, and then DiCaprio kills the last one with, with the flamethrower. Flame <laughs> yeah, that was just amazing. They're like the cops are like, uh, what what happened? He's like, well, one he's still hot in acid, obviously, and he's like, well, one guy said he was the devil, and he's he was gonna do uh, devil shit. <laughs> no, he was like. He's like, what's your name? He goes, I'm the devil. He goes, no, it's something dumber than that. <laughs> He's like, like Rex? And they were like, shoot him, Tex. And he was like, Tex. <laughs> and in the moment when he's high and he realizes that he saw these people earlier at the ranch, he's like, <laughs> he's like, oh, I know y'all. <laughs> it, like, okay, if Brad Pitt wins the Oscar, like, it'll be for that scene. How Not many people could pull off being high and, like, still super cool and then just absolutely just murders cold-blooded a couple of people he gets stabbed in the thigh and doesn't even notice yeah he's just like oh <laughs> uh brad pitt is a national treasure i love I, brad pitt i want more brad pitt movies unfortunately uh, his his decision making when it comes to which movies he um decides to act in hasn't been the greatest we could do another podcast about uh top five brad, brad pitt movies mm-hmm. i think moneyball seven moneyball seven and glorious the big short uh, Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's, Stuff like yeah. that. Right, well, we won't spoil it. All right. So that was my number two, right? Yeah, we're down to number one. You're number one. My number one, Django Unchained. I bet that's a hot take for most people. Uh, I remember I watched it years, years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember not really being, not really liking it that much. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah. And then about two years ago, I decided to revisit it, mm-hmm. and I watched it, and I was like blown away. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Why didn't I like it's this?" It's an first impressive th- movie. I was like, why didn't, "Why didn't I like this the first time I watched it?" And a lot of people argue that the movie slows down after Christoph Waltz's character dies. Yeah, which you know you can argue that, but I think um, I liked it. I think it was a good character choice mm-hmm. for his character to sacrifice himself. Yeah, and sort of let Django become his own man. Mm-hmm. You know, because first he, he gets, basically shepherded him to everything he'd accomplished because, thus far. You know, first he gets freed by Waltz's character, and mm-hmm. then Waltz sort of takes him under his wing, mm-hmm. and now it's sort of time for the bird to fly on his own, so yeah. to speak. And I think I like that, but I know how some people, you know, thought killing mm-hmm. off Waltz was a bad idea. Death is always controversial in movies, but um, the ending to the movie is one of my favorite movie endings ever. Mm-hmm. When Django comes back to the Candyland Ranch, yeah. 
and uh, Samuel Jackson walks in and he shoots him in the kneecaps. Samuel Jackson's character is hilarious in this movie. Like, He's like this pathetic slave that's sold out to the white people. Like Jamie Foxx plays <laughs> Django, and Jamie Foxx does a really good job in this movie. Mm-hmm. But everybody else around him, Leonardo DiCaprio, Christoph Watts, DiCaprio Samuel is Jackson. DiCaprio is a great one. DiCaprio needs to do more villain roles. <laughs> oh, like in uh, like he's doing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They're like they're just. He's like I'm just being casted as the heavy. I'm just the villain. And Al Pacino's like, yeah, you see, they're they're beating you up. So maybe that's what he's saying. He's like, if DiCaprio starts playing the villain, guess what? He's gonna end up doing spaghetti westerns. Uh, well, <laughs> According to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think uh, Calvin Candy might be. One that's of a the, great character. He's a great villain. Mm-hmm. And uh, DiCaprio. He did not get nominated for an Oscar for that movie. Mm-hmm. I think he should have. Christoph Watts won Best Actor for Django. Really? Best Supporting Actor, that is. Oh, okay. But I, I think say, I didn't think he was in enough to be Best Actor. He was Best Supporting Actor, and I think Watts was great in it. But I thought DiCaprio was slightly better. The dude's like on acid. You're not not like he's on like steroids the entire time he's in. Like he comes in and he's just buzzing. It's like a. Oh, it's like the references Bill Simmons likes to do in his podcast. Like, it's like a guy, it's like a basketball player coming in and like just like draining a bunch of threes. Like a guy just coming in and having a heat check off the bench. Like, Leo comes in, you're like, whoa, and it's like now he's just going off. Yeah, the scenes that take place at the Candyland Ranch are mm-hmm. like phenomenal. I like everything before that, and I like mm-hmm. everything after that. But mm-hmm. that like middle chunk of the movie is incredible. I really like the journey. Just like the journey of Fox of Fox's character, like where he starts and how he's just like on this like killing rampage the entire time, and it's all like with a goal in mind. It's I, I feel like it's very un-Tarantino esque. I also love Tarantino's cameo in the movie. <laughs> he gets blown up. Yeah, because he holds like a stick of dynamite and Django shoots. I think it. I love the Jonah Hill cameo. <laughs> oh yeah, the KKK. <laughs> the KKK. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I can't even see. <laughs> Wait. I, I just realized this. This is completely off topic. To, off topic. Do we have an N word reference in uh, Once Upon a Time? I don't know if we do. I, if if we didn't, is that the first movie not to have the N word? Of Tarantino's? Yeah. Um. I I, I don't know. I, I I think they all have it. I may need to rewatch Kill Bill. Probably. I may need not. to rewatch Kill Bill. Just to see if it has the N word, of course. <laughs> But this in Inglorious, they say it in German. Yeah. Um, uh, they say they say it in all the other ones too. Yeah. Um, all right. I don't know. We'll, I'll have to watch Once Upon a Time again. Anything else on Django? Um, it did come out in a very competitive year for movies, 2012. But I think it's his most successful at the box office. It is. It came out Christmas Day. Uh, it came out in 2012. The best picture that year was Argo. I guess that's not absurd. <laughs> directed by Ben Affleck. Also nominated that year was Silver Linings Playbook, mm-hmm. uh, starring Bradley Cooper. I don't know. I think Django might have been the best. Oh, well, dude, the revisionist history on uh, on the Oscars is getting pretty absurd because none of the movies that that win anymore really deserve it. A lot. Of a people- Shape of Water won. Like that. That was stupid in the moment, and now it just looks even more ridiculous. I, I could put up an argument for Shape of Water. But, like, it's a movie about a girl having sex with a fish. Like, I can't get over it. <laughs> I mean... that. I mean, God, I, I just liked other movies that you're way better. Like, Three Billboards and Get Out. I think I was okay with Shape of Water winning, but I was kind of rooting for Three Billboards. 
I thought Three Billboards was like, I'm like, I'd rather watch this movie than the fucking fish movie. Uh, it's also kind of rooting for Dunkirk. Dunkirk. I, I, I was disappointed in Dunkirk. I didn't like the, they, I didn't like the gimmick they did with like the time. I, I thought it was still like interesting, but I thought they could have done a lot better with. The I liked movie it. I'll tell you what, Dunkirk. I said the same thing when I walked out of the theater for the first time, but I saw it a second time, like mm-hmm. a couple weeks later in the theater. Yeah, and I liked it a lot better the second time. Hmm. That's generally how it goes. Because I knew what I was expecting. Huh. I knew what I was going you, into. Yeah, and it's Christopher Nolan, so you know there's going to be some story, you know, mash. Yeah, because you know uh, he does it with Inception. You know mm-hmm. the dream letters. <laughs> I don't think he did as well on Dunkirk as he did with Inception. You know, Inception is one of my personal favorites. Isn't it your favorite movie? Uh, Shawshank Redemption is my favorite, uh, but Inception is definitely top three. All right, I guess we'll go to my number one. It has to be Pulp Fiction. Uh, I'm not gonna get cute with it. It just it it was his second movie, and I I just think it's the his best, most entertaining, um, the most rewatchable, the one that like I think in in a hundred years people will reference Pulp Fiction. I wrote this down. Uh, Pulp Fiction at the Oscars qualified for the Big Five. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, the Big Five is when a movie is nominated for five in the you know sort of major categories: best picture, best writing, best director, best actor, best yeah. actress. Best picture. It was nominated. Quentin Tarantino was nominated for best director and best writer. Mm-hmm. And then Travolta was nominated for best actor. Samuel Jackson was nominated for best supporting actor. And Uma Thurman was nominated for best actress. Yeah. And Tarantino won Best Writing. Mm-hmm. He so should have. It went one for five. Uh, 1994, the 1995 Oscars, I guess, is what it would be. Um, that Best Picture race is just a, a, a disaster. Forrest Gump beats Shawshank and Pulp Fiction. Now, I'm not a betting man, but I would wager that if you went up to someone, put a gun to their head and said, you are going to die in two and a half hours... And you have to watch one of these three movies. Which is it going to be? You, nobody's picking Forrest Gump over Pulp Fiction and Shawshank. I think in the moment, I think uh, Forrest Gump, people are like... It was oh, a more you... emotional story. People are like, oh, look but at this. But Forrest Gump hasn't aged well. It's still a good movie. Like I like Forrest Gump, it's but still... it's not Shawshank or Pulp Fiction. Like yeah, That's a pretty high standard. Shawshank has aged really well. Like Forrest Gump would have been the best movie in 2017 when Shape of Water won. Shawshank aged really <laughs> very well. Inside of Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump did not age very well. It mm-hmm. didn't age badly, but it didn't age well either. It didn't age as well as uh, Pulp Fiction also ages well. Uh, yeah, um, it's safe to say Forrest Gump didn't age as well as two of the most iconic films in the history of the world. So I think if you redid that Oscars today, I think Shawshank wins. Yeah, Shawshank. Um, Shawshank would definitely win. But Travolta nominated for Best Actor for Pulp Fiction. I love it. He's great. He's such a believable, like... Okay, so this guy's involved with like this mafia kind of thing, but like he's kind of an idiot, but he's philosophical weirdly, uh, and he's just a dumbass. Like he, oh dude, shit, I shot Marvin in the head, like <laughs> that kind of shit. And then he's everything about Travolta's character is like it's impeccable. Um, the way he just God, I I love his performance because um, Travolta, I think himself is like not he's like an awkward kind of dude. Like, the way – they, they really express it in face-off, but, like, the way he talks, the way his body's shaped. But, like, everything – it seems like he's always annoying the people he's around in this movie. And I really like it because it generates interest. Like, especially with the wolf. The wolf's like, all right, you're going to do this, this, and this. And he's, like, ordering people around. He's like, a please would be nice. 
And, and he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his mannerisms, too. I love like, his mannerisms. When, uh, when Jules goes, when they go to Jimmy's house, and Jules goes, wow, this is some really good coffee. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Tarantino, who plays Jimmy, yeah. he gets like really mad at him. He's like, "I don't need you telling me how good my coffee is. I'm the one who buys it." Mm-hmm. And then uh, Travolta just kind of looks at him like, "Nice going, like, like nice going." He's just like, <laughs> yeah. he like, like nice his coffee. He's like, "Nice going, Jules." <laughs> oh God, I, Travolta's character is is awesome. Uh, and I love so is Samuel Jackson's character is even more iconic. I mean, just that pairing might be the greatest. Well, duo while we're of on topic, time. I want to talk about the wolf for a second. Yeah, I we love, love the wolf. He he calls Marcel and he goes, "I'll be there in ten minutes." And then like, you know he, he says, goes he goes it, he goes it's a thirty minute drive. I'll be there in ten minutes. And then he goes nine minutes and fifty eight seconds later. Yeah, he pulls in. And he just parks in the middle of the street. And then when he when they get to the car lot, and he's like, "You boys need to ride home where you live," and they tell him, and he's like, "It's far away from where they where they are." And he's like, he looks like he acts like he's holding up a crystal ball, and he's like, "It's your future. I see a cab ride." He's <laughs> like, "Later, gentlemen." <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, let's talk about the diner scene. My favorite scene in the movie. Uh-huh. So. Uh, Travolta and Jackson are sitting at this uh, booth in the diner, mm-hmm. and they're sort of having that philosophical debate. Like they, they they've kind of continued this whole debate like throughout the movie in different parts. Like this, just because arguing get, about philosophy, and then now this added argument about this miracle. They get they get shot at, and all the bullets miss them. Mm-hmm. Jewel says it's a miracle, and uh, Vincent calls it a freak occurrence, mm-hmm. and they have a debate about it. Yeah. And I love that back and forth. Like, Jewel says... Because uh, it's a conversation you can have with, like, your friends. He's like... Or he's, your wife. He's or like, your, your Vincent, dad or something like, like that. He's like, Vincent, what's a miracle? He goes, uh, an act of God. He's mm-hmm. like, and what's an act of God? When God makes the impossible possible, but I do not think today qualifies. Hmm. He's like, we witnessed a freak occurrence. He's like, he's like, Vincent, it's not like you changed Coke to Pepsi. <laughs> he's like, we should be dead. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I remember having that same exact argument, like, what qualifies as a miracle? And in and and my friend Noah's car on the way to cross-country practice, it was, it was me, him, and another friend of ours, Seth Ostrahag, a different Seth. We had that same exact conversation, and I'm like, oh, here it is on screen. And it's like, oh, it, it's captivating because you're like, okay, this is a different way to think about something I've, I've argued with my, with my friends uh, in my own life. So no, I think that's and that's just part of his dialogue. He he's is he the best screenwriter just like in terms of pure dialogue in in the history of filmmaking. I, I can't think of dudes that are better. Maybe Sorkin, but and the way no the way they segue into that uh, debate is when they sit down in the booth. They're talking about like Vincent offers Jules a piece of bacon, mm-hmm. and Jules goes, "I don't eat pig." Yes, like that exact thing, like. Well, like, they're arguing about whether a pig's dirty. He's like, what, are you Jewish? He goes, no, I just don't dig on swine. That's all. Pig's he's a filthy like, animal. He's like, what about a dog? dog he goes, filthy animal? He goes, why don't you dog? He's like, but is a dog a filthy animal? He goes, personality goes a long way. He's like, we had to be talking about one charming motherfucking pig. Yeah. And he's like, I just sitting here thinking. He goes, thinking about what? He goes, about the miracle we witnessed. And that's how they segue into it. Yes, exactly. And then the whole thing with the case um, – the case that he has, like the briefcase. You never see what's inside it. You never see what's inside. They open it up and it glows, and Tim Roth is like, I'm having an orgasm. It must be the greatest thing in the world. He's like, there. it's beautiful. He goes, it's not yours. He's <laughs> like, I've been through too much shit just to hand it over to you, dumbass. 
Yeah, okay, I read a conspiracy theory today that says that, that what is in the briefcase uh, is Marcellus's soul. Uh, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, wait, wait, let me, let me pull up the article here. I forgot, what did it say? It was, it was really interesting, I'm not going to lie. I was like, because the, the combination on it is uh, 666, so immediately I'm like, okay, okay, I understand. Uh, it says, okay, so I'm just going to read this whole little section to you. Um, okay, it says, The briefcase is used as a MacGuffin, which is a plot device that moves the story forward, but ultimately has no explanation. Due to its lack of explanation, fans have theorized wildly. Even this guy admits it's a wild theory. Hmm. On its, on its contents, guessing theories such as it contains radioactive material or the diamonds from Tarantino's first film, Reservoir Dogs, which is kind of cool. Perhaps the most popular theory, however, is that the briefcase contains Marcellus Wallace's soul. Snopes has an example of this theory. I don't know who that is. Remember the first time you were introduced to Marcellus Wallace? The first shot of him was of the back of his head, complete with a band-aid. Then remember the combination on the lock of the briefcase. It was 666. Then, remember that whenever anyone opened the briefcase, it glowed, and they were in amazement at how beautiful it was. They were speechless. Now bring in some Bible knowledge, and remember that, the, that when the devil takes your soul, he takes it from the back of your head. Yep, you guessed it. What is the most beautiful thing that a person has? His soul. Marcellus Wallace had sold his soul to the devil and was trying to buy it back. The three kids in the beginning of the movie were the devil's helpers. And remember when that kid, when the kid at the end came out of the bathroom with a hand cannon? Jules and Vincent were not harmed by the bullets. God came down and stopped the bullets because they were saving a soul. It was divine intervention. And then it says, okay, in a 1995 interview with Playboy, weird, Samuel L. Jackson explained how he asked Tarantino what was in the suitcase and got the reply, whatever you want it to be. I like the theory. I, I, uh, whether or not it's true, actually, I guess doesn't matter because Tarantino says it's whatever you want it to be. Off topic, but you mentioned Playboy. <laughs> I just want to point out the that Playboy Mansion and <laughs> that the scenes from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. were shot at the actual Playboy Mansion. I was I was wondering about that. I was like, is that? Yeah, I saw. There's like a roundtable interview mm-hmm. with Tarantino, DiCaprio, Pitt, and Robbie. Mm-hmm. And uh, the interviewer asked them, he's like, was that the actual Playboy Mansion? And Tarantino was like, yes, yes, it was. Yes. <laughs> and Robbie was like, I was so excited to go there. All right, so watch watch every Tarantino movie. Um, go watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You won't regret it. It's it's it's, it's perpetually a, entertaining, perennially captivating. Burn. Uh, watch, I, I can't wait to watch it again. I've, I've seen it twice. Uh, it's gonna be one of those movies that I watch a million times, and it might be one of my like ten favorite movies ever. By the end of it, I don't I don't know. Like it has like it just has a feel to it that I love. It reminds me of like. Yeah, I guess kind of like, have you ever seen Dazed and Confused? Yeah. Like, kind of like, it kind of reminds me of that, where like, it all takes place, like, there's a section, there's like an hour and a half of it that takes place in one day, and a lot of it's just people driving around, and that's, and like, we're just checking on different parts of, or different characters, that's kind of like Dazed and Confused. Uh, But then I just love the way it's set up, like, to where you you said it earlier, you just feel like you're part of it, and like, once I walk out of the theater, I'm like... I want to go back to 1969 Hollywood and sit in the car with Brad Pitt again. Like it just has that kind of feeling and uh, atmosphere, which I don't think a lot of movies can accomplish. Will you, see it, will you see it a third time in the theater? I might. If someone wants to go, I'll go. <laughs> I, I may see it uh, a couple, one or two more times in the theater. I'll see it again in the theater. As soon as it comes out, I'm buying it on my computer. 
I don't care. I'm gonna. Get I love it. it. <laughs> I'm gonna get it on Blu-ray. Definitely. You'll be yeah. the last person to buy a Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, well, I'm. I'm like Tarantino. I I like the old ways. Mm-hmm. I like hard copy. There's something about hard copy that I don't like digital. There's something about having when I enjoy a movie. There's mm-hmm. something about having like a disc, you know, like a hard copy of it that I just really enjoy. So, do you have like a record player like Margot Robbie has? Or no, like, <laughs> I have a Blu-ray player. But, um, <laughs> no, but you like things the old way. No digital music. Screw Spotify. Just get the records. Yeah, I'll just start going vinyl. Yeah, but you know, is that all we have from our from our Tarantino list? I guess we could shout out the movies that didn't get mentioned. Uh, the Hateful Eight, which I is another. It's a great movie, but. Uh, not not as rewatchable. It's it's the first hour is just so slow. It's it's a slow burn. They actually turned it into a four part miniseries on Netflix. It's it's a little lengthy. Like they just took the director's cut and chopped it into yeah. four pieces because it's like four hours long. It's the kind of movie that you have to watch in pieces. But I also just like the atmosphere of it. Like you like you can just hear the fire the whole time. You're like okay, it's warm in here. I'm in the same spot the entire time, and I like these characters. I don't know. It's it's good. It's a good movie to watch around Christmas time. Yeah, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like Reservoir Dogs, and like you spend all your time in like the same building with like these this like group of like eight characters. <laughs> eight, the hateful eight. Eight um, characters, the hateful eight. But it's, it's just not it as eighth movie. It's not as exciting or fast as Reservoir Dogs, or really as intriguing. But it's still a good movie. I recommend it. What else uh, didn't we mention? Death Proof, which seems to be a terrible movie. Kill Bill. <laughs> we didn't mention Kill Bill. Good action scenes in Kill Bill. I like Kill Bill, but it's good, but not great. What other ones did we miss? I didn't I didn't have That's Jackie it. Brown on my list, but you did. I like Jackie Brown. I like Jackie Brown. Things about it. He wrote True Romance, and he wrote Natural Born, Natural Born Killers. I didn't direct them, so they're not real... Because, like, when it flashed up last night, it was Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. Yeah. So we just did the nine. And that's them. All right. Uh, I guess this is it. Any parting thoughts? Uh, well, I, I would like to do more podcasts. I think we will have a podcast about Euphoria Yeah, we're going to have a, a Euphoria podcast. We've been watching it. Um, safe to say we have some thoughts on what's, what's happened so it's far. very, very edgy. Uh, I think Walsh to do. I don't think is it edgy enough. <laughs> it's like uh, I don't think enough uh, traumatizing shit happens. It's like a teen drama dialed up to a ten. Yeah, it's like a, I, I can't even describe it, but it's really well done, really well acted too, and the storylines are controversial and just shocking and vile, and definitely something you can have a conversation about. So tune in. Yeah, I think we will also do a. A top five of our favorite David Fincher movies. We'll probably do that at some point. A lot of top fives. If, top fives are fun to do. If David Fincher ever makes another movie. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think. What's my favorite David Fincher film? I guess The Social Network, but I'm... It's a tie for me. It's a tie between Seven and Zodiac. Oh, never mind. I like Zodiac. I can't decide which one I like better, Seven or Zodiac. I like Zodiac better. I think Seven has like a better ending. Like the ending to Seven is like... Probably his best movie ending with the what's in the box. But I think um, Fincher is like a better overall movie. Well, now just like uh, Zodiac, like they just – they stretch like a sheet of tension over the whole movie. And it's like – it feels like it's just going to break it at, speaking at, at about, some point. And speaking they're about stealing a movie, but, Robert Downey Jr. steals that movie. 
Yeah, really good performance. Like, I feel like it's almost personal to him. Just like his character deals with stuff that he's dealt with. Yeah, like with like substance abuse. Mark Ruffalo was also great. Mm-hmm. And Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal is awesome. <laughs> Arthur Lee Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur Lee Allen. Or or John Carroll Lynch, as we call him. All right, that's anyway, enough. We'll us. get to that. So uh, check in. Sam might be dead. <laughs> We haven't heard from him. <laughs> we texted him earlier today. Sam Snodder, of course. I don't and think we've heard from him since last night. Yeah, let's see where he is on Find My Friends, actually. He is near your house, as a matter of fact. As he's at Tinseltown. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe he's catching up on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, getting his second video in there. Maybe he is. But right. uh, we'll that, have him on next time. That's all from us. Um, and as always, where is Chris Early? <laughs>